Welcome to Building Texas with Justin McKenzie and Summer Babarak, sponsored by the Bernie Kendall County Economic Development Corporation and Das Greenhouse. And now, here's your host, Justin McKenzie. Welcome to Building Texas. My name's Justin McKenzie, and this week we're having a deep AI conversation. I think this is going to be a conversation that really opens your mind and understanding of how AI was built from the beginning until today and where some people are really pouring into how AI can be good in our community, where it can make an impact in the people that are serving us in times of crisis, in times of need. So I'm thrilled to welcome Michael Stewart as our guest today on Building Texas. Michael has a long career in technology we're going to dive into what got him into tech, where AI really formed and was impactful in places I've learned over the last few days, long before AI was even in our cultural conversation. Today, we all talk about AI and we think of ChatGPT and Watson and other programs, but long before, I think, Michael, you've been involved building. So where did you start this journey? How did you get into AI at the level you're in in what I assume was the 80s, maybe? Yeah, it was. Thank you for having me here, by the way. Um, artificial intelligence has been around literally since the 60s and since the early days of compute. Um, it generally had two forms. One of those forms was a mathematical way of analyzing data to look for patterns. And those patterns can elucidate understanding of your business or your organization in important ways. Uh, the other used conceptualization instead of pattern matching, and it was logic and reasoning. Much harder to build, took longer to think about and deploy. The pattern matching data needed data, <laughs> and it needed faster compute. And when those two things came about, that form of AI raced forward. The conceptualization form took a lot longer to think about what was a human and how long it takes you to assemble that knowledge is 20 or so years to become generally smart. We call that commonsensical. Okay. That was a harder challenge because it takes a village 20 years to build a conceptually smart human or a, a, a commonsensical one. And if that's true, how long would it take to code all of that in computing? That's a 40-year effort. So in Austin, back in the mid-80s, as the advent of the information age was barreling toward us, the Japanese had threatened America to dominate us in information technologies like they did automobiles and electronics. President Reagan passed a law saying that companies could collude, and the MCC Research Consortium, Palo Alto, and Sarnoff Research Institute in Princeton are examples of organizations that got formed to pursue what are informatics in this information age? Words, numbers, graphics, images, video, everything on a screen. But at first, no one knew what that was really going to be about. And how do you control them? How do you build word processors? Remember WordStar and WordPerfect and all of those. How do you integrate those capabilities together into something like Microsoft Office, where it has words and spreadsheets and email all in one tool? That was an evolution. That didn't just come out of Bill Gates's mind of, hey, I'm going to create that tomorrow. That was a community of technologists around the country understanding what was information and how would it go digital and what kind of tools did you need to make that happen and how did you integrate those tools. 
once you started doing that, you built applications for those tools. And as you did that, you wanted this application and that application to talk together. You had to integrate them. So these challenges were not trivial. They were significant. And Austin played a significant role in bringing together the organizational understandings of those things, uh, one of which was a conceptual AI project called the Psych Project, spelled C-Y-C, short for encyclopedia. Dr. Doug Linnett came from Stanford's AI program, came to Austin, recruited by Adelman at MCC to be its chief scientist and to start a decades-long project to teach a computer to think like you and I think conceptually. Um, and that means to map out common sense. Now, when you say Austin played a big part in it and you talk about the MCC, you're talking about the University of Texas or you're talking about the city of Austin? It was a collaboration. Okay. It was a public-private effort to bring together scientists from the best corporations in the world, or at least in America, and the best university studies of those in collaboration with the city and county and state government and federal government that were all a part of the MC experience. You're listening to Justin McKenzie on Building Texas, 103.9 FM, Bernie Radio. We're having a really interesting conversation, and I like the historical aspect of what built Texas to be today, what it is, and then what are we doing to look forward to what it's becoming? Your career transitioned across technology evolutions and scale that we now understand and see, the general public understands and sees. Where did you dive into your understanding of AI, the building of AI, and how big it was going to be, how impactful it was going to be today? I started my first business at Baylor University. I rented mopeds to college kids. And That's a little, awesome. A little company called Different Spokes. Um, and we built a, a thriving little moped rental business, and it paid for my way through college. Great way to learn how to run a company <laughs> and attract capital and all of that. When I was able to get out of Different Spokes and make a little money, there was a boom happening in real estate. So I boomed a little, and then I busted. And the busting was with First Republic Bank, and they were the first bank to fail in that early collapse. That made me mad. So I wanted to look into why I had invested into these real estate projects that First Republic was poorly educated on and not a good front runner for because of that. And I learned that most of the real estate firms and the banks lacked systems, technology, to manage that many transactions across that many types of projects and manage them quarter over quarter to valuation changes and all the things that as an owner of a, of a private equity kind of path that First Republic was promoting um, was astounding to me that there was a lack of all of that. Being the entrepreneur that I was like, I'm going to start a software company to better manage real estate portfolios. I didn't know a lot about real estate <laughs> portfolios, much less being a software guy. So I called UT, the University of Texas, and I said, send me over a programmer that's really smart and can help me. I need to combine a CAD system with a relational database, with a word processing spreadsheet and email. I need it all to work together. And he was like, I, we don't have anyone that can do that, but I'll send you our smartest young guy and he can help you if he can. To make a long story short, we stumbled on some innovations he did mainly that helped us pull that off to build a system that did that. Goldman Sachs' Whitehall Fund became our first client, and they grew from $5 billion to 60 billion during the RTC days of the workout of that problem. 
So we did well in that process. To make systems that were built by different companies to talk to each other that weren't built to do that was quite a challenge. I love that we're going to have this conversation because in software development today, I've had the opportunity to to help teams build. And my concern with today's building is APIs exist. Yes. There's a lot of preformed code, little snippets. Mm-hmm. There's, you can Google and find it. Now you can use AI and yeah. write your code. That's right. But you're talking about an era when you there didn't have a that. lot of memory. Yeah. You didn't have APIs out of the box. You had zero integration across systems. I still remember the old Microsoft Apple fight that mm-hmm. was constant. Yes. Developers are different today than they were then. Massively. And, and I don't say it in a critical way, but it is how mathematics works in code that I think is the difference Yes, because they're not applying that core foundational understanding. They don't have to, the tools are there already. You're working with sticks and stones to make fire. uh, Whereas today they have propane. Interesting that you bring that. There was a gentleman at UT, a Nobel prize laureate named Ilya Prigogine and Ilya Prigogine invented a math called dissipative structures. And dissipative structures is energies that are forming and are doing something as energy does and then dissipating. And that constant formation and dissipation, you can think of clouds and storms and the volume of mass in a cloud and the energy of that cloud and how it is mathematically describable. And that's Prigogine's work. And then you can look at cloud computing and technology and the same dynamics. And that's a dissipative structure at work. And so understanding the mathematics early was a big part of what made these think tanks and their application of those mathematics so viable. And that transitioned that into the compute side of it. And what are the chip architectures of that? As we go into the break, I want to plant a seed of responsible AI. And what are we doing with all of this power today as a population, as people? It has some very disruptive realities. So as we come back, I want to dive into your work around framing the ethics of AI and how globally companies, developers, and builders are doing it. This is Justin McKenzie from Building Texas. Today's segment is brought to you by Das Greenhouse. Das Greenhouse is a business incubator launched here in Bernie to serve our local community. Das Greenhouse is a place where you can come to grow your idea. Our goal is to make Bernie accessible to people who are looking to grow a business, expand a business, or learn more about what's out there in their community and get involved. Visit us at dasgreenhouse.org or come visit us at 7 Upper Balconies Road, Bernie, Texas. Das Greenhouse. You're listening to Building Texas with Justin McKenzie on Bernie Radio 103.9 FM. Today, it's an interesting conversation. It's a meaty conversation. We're talking about mathematics and compute, and and those are difficult concepts for general population to understand. (laughs) Making it really dangerous because how the world works around you impacts how you work in the world. And you've had a, a wonderful opportunity to sit at the bleeding edge, the tip of the spear for AI as it's being built and developed by governments, by banks, by others. We were talking about a story earlier. You met someone that challenged your thinking around what you're doing with the power of AI and compute, but then what are the repercussions? And 
help me understand, what did you do with that conversation? I was blessed to get to meet Stephen Hawking briefly through this encounter at an event in Cambridge. And his comment to me was, you're contemplating with this company you're building of turning on this AI nuclear reactor as a euphemism, and it doesn't have containment around it that I know of, does it? And I was like, no. And he said, do you think that's smart? No. (laughs) I can't imagine Stephen Hawking asking me if I think that's smart. So that was part of the catalyst that led to us hiring. I had already hired her by then, but we really gave her more power than we had when we hired her, a lady named Kayferth Butterfield. And she was a St. Aids University professor, British by nationality, an attorney. And her work at St. Ed's was to look at the ethical and responsible use of advanced technologies. And we sat together on a plane and I hired her on the plane before we touched down in Austin. My board wasn't real happy with that. Yeah. uh, I could foresee um, this becoming a real issue and you're not going to find AI at scale without this issue being overtly managed in a public way where people can be confident that the technologies that are making these decisions for them or about them were ethical and responsible and and trustworthy. And so that was fundamental to me. And then with the encouragement of Stephen to do something about it, we started an organization that became Responsible AI. So it's responsible.ai, literally. And you can see a body of work being performed by some really brilliant people around the world that have gathered together to help a lot of these similar types of organizations work with their governments, both federal, state, and local, to understand the impact of the technologies, their threats and risks, how to mitigate those, how to identify and mitigate, what tools you need, and the whole process to certify, so to speak, an artificial intelligence for being something that is doing what it says it's going to do and not other things that it might do if it weren't in that same rigor. Where does that organization sit today? Recently, we've got a lot of feedback around ChatGPT, OpenAI, and what's happening in the world. Where does Responsible.ai sit? It has, I'm not sure of its headcount, so I don't want to hypothesize, but it works with federal DOD and the broader U.S. government. It works with the Canadian government. It had an executive director for years from from Canada. It works with Britain as a separate um, European nation and the EU as the EU. Um, And its purpose is to understand those points of threat, understand reasonable ways to mitigate them, understand reasonable ways to adjudicate and legalize around them what is legal what's not how do you know when do you know (laughs) all of those kinds of issues and then building the tools and educating the community through the university infrastructure and the tech infrastructures to these realities and the european government has moved fastest and created a european law that defines much of the ai use in europe the u.s is just rolling its out and recently and and still forthcoming. And Responsible AI has had a meaningful hand in that process. I wouldn't say that we controlled it or that we invented it, but they've been on the committees and the boards and all of the kind of work that grinds to make that kind of knowledge efficacious in government. And so they've played a meaningful role in that. I'm happy to know that somebody's thinking about it, that somebody's there doing that work. 
And so I look forward to learning more about responsible AI and where we can get involved. I think that's wonderful. I think it has come to a place from a international to a national, and now it's really coming to a state and local level, where at a national level, you can say across Europe or across our country, international and national, these are the rules. But we know that humans live at a local level. And so for cities and counties and states to understand their rights and privileges of controlling these technologies and their domiciles, I think is the whole next wave of AI management and its ability to roll out and help humanity in the ways that that we want it to, instead of being abused and misused in ways we don't want it to. Now, that's been a pivot in your career today with what you're building and your next project. And how do you see getting local populations, local people that aren't technologists, that haven't spent four decades looking at this problem, how do you get them to accept it, to use it, to find value in it today? I think really that's an entrepreneurial challenge. I think that's an opportunity for young people, especially, who are more facile with these technologies than us older folks who have lived half our life without even a computer, much less AI. So for young people to see the opportunities that the technologies present because they use them and to build companies that put those opportunities to work in a nice business model that is adding value, that's not creating negative displacements or other forms of harm is the answer to that. And I think at a local level, building entrepreneurial understanding among young people, how to build a business, how to recognize a business opportunity, how to measure it, how to describe it, how to make it attractive to capital, how to structure that optimally, how to grow it, and then how obviously to deliver product or service as promised and be compensated appropriately for it. I think that's going to happen in AI profoundly. Almost every discipline of work in almost every industry has the opportunity to have artificial intelligence impact it significantly, if not eliminate a lot of it. And that's both threatening, but it's also opportunistic. It's threatening to the people that don't see it coming. That's right, exactly. So with this, I think we have an opportunity to draw some curiosity around AI. Responsible AI is a good place to learn about the ethics, learn about what's happening in international settings. But your product today that you're looking at is first responders. We're thinking about how can AI help a first responder that's new to the job, new to the pressure, the reality of being the first responder, but having the security of a watchful, helpful eye on your shoulder that's an impactful use case that is immediate. You're going to make their next call better because you're there to see a different perspective or to add a million service calls worth of experience into that moment. Exactly. Am I understanding your program and your project the right way? Yes, I think that's exactly it. I've been blessed with uh, three beautiful kids and my middle daughter was an EMT at 18 and just a heroic kind of thing for, a, for that whole community. The, the work they do, how they do it is phenomenal. But she had a horrific day one day, and she said to me, Dad, do you realize that I'm the least educated, least experienced person in the entire healthcare food chain being called to this place and getting out of my truck and walking up to this horrific scene with these injured people? And that just seems astounding to me. Is there a way that your artificial intelligence might augment 
what we do, how we do it, and improve even a, a modicum of, of what we're trying to bring in, in our service. And, and simultaneously, can you, can you focus that AI on the emotional trauma and damage that it does to us to provide that value to our communities? And that just has stuck with me. A couple of years went by as I worked through, as you said, the responsible AI work that we needed to do and, and things that I was doing at, at a company I was running. But it has become my raison d'etre, this late in life thing, to bring my kids into an entrepreneurial effort to build an AI that will focus on those issues for crisis first providers, first responders. And we believe that it has the ability to help them both efficacy-wise in the health care they're providing, as well as the emotional turmoil they're suffering from. And both sides of that have value propositions that artificial intelligence can, as you say, really augment and help that process. They have enormous turnover rate. They have cardiovascular and hypertension problems at a horrendous rate compared to the normal societies. And they need help. And so I think that we're focusing on something that's non-controversial here, that doesn't have an axe to grind or somebody trying to displace it's an application that we think helps that entire food chain of value from the person that's injured to the person who's giving the care to the government or county that's managing them and paying them to the hospitals that are incoming on that care to the insurers who are footing the bill. All of that can be impacted positively in a way that, that we're excited to bring artificial intelligence to. And it's an example of looking at an area that, that was doing heroic things and yet still had a big need. Yeah. And finding an answer to that need and being able to bring that through a community effort like we're, we're doing here in Bernie. In Bernie, we like to collaborate. We have some forces in our city that really ensure that we're not duplicating services and that we're bridging a communication gap from one nonprofit to another or from one first response team, let's say fire, to the emergency room hospital that they're about to show up in. Exactly. And how much time can you save? How much care can you give? I, I applaud and I, I like the origin story. I'm always curious, where did the founder get this idea? We've run into several founders that use their daily life as an inspiration. And I applaud you as a founder being aware and having the conversation with your daughter and saying, I, I think there is an application here. I hope you'll give her some inventor rights on it. <laughs> yeah, so we're naming it after her. Oh, that's fantastic. The company's called Crisis.ai, but the AI itself, I'm naming Sid. That's awesome. Her name's Sydney. That's fantastic. And part of what we talk about often is the future of work in Texas. And in central Texas, you live in the Dripping Springs area. So you're right here in the Hill Country with us. And you're creating a legacy. You're building a future for generations to come through conservation efforts and then through your business as well. Your son Max is here with us today, so I'm put him on the spot and, and, and say, what does that look like for you generationally? You've spent your career in Austin. You've built an international technology career. What does that look like for your kids as they move into what they're going to do in life? I think that's a tremendous question. It's one thing to live a long life and value career, and I've been blessed to get to do that and have three beautiful kids. Missed good portions of their time pursuing what I needed to pursue. And so it came with a big cost to be at a place where I can help them think through what is business and how does it work and how do I play if I wanted to play because dad's always played. Maybe I'll follow. What is artificial intelligence and how does that make a business and how do we blend the two together? 
is a real blessing to me today to, to bring my son and daughters into this. We own a ranch. You mentioned conservation. So we moved to the country and we have a 265-acre ranch, and we've put it into long-term conservation so that the kids had a stable base into the future, protecting Texas land that needs to be protected. And so we didn't want shopping malls and strip centers on it. We wanted it to be protected as beautiful Texas hill country land. To accomplish those at the same time has been really grateful, to have the kids around us on the ranch, a company coming out of the startup phase, an exciting use of artificial intelligence where the kids get to see how it's being done. They get to participate in the activities and be a part of it so they understand it. And then hopefully they're in a position where they can take their ideas. And I know each of them have several great ideas how they want to pursue them. Max, what does that look like for you in Austin today and where you're going to go in the future? What do you see from this that you're taking forward? What I see is an entirely new frontier to, for us to go and explore and to really map out because as we've stated previously, there, AI has been present in our day-to-day lives, but never to this level. We've always had perceptual AI, but now we're just starting to get into uh, cognitive AI and that's a whole new ballpark. So it's like our own little great unknown that we, go, that we get to go and explore and uh, create new things out of. It's been an absolute pleasure to visit with both of you today. And I appreciate you coming to Bernie, helping us see the potential. And we look forward to making Bernie a great location for your tool in the future. Justin, I love what you're doing here. This has been a great experience. Thank you for inviting us. Michael Stewart, thank you for the way you're building Texas. And thank you for visiting today. This is Justin McKenzie from Building Texas. Today's segment is brought to you by Das Greenhouse. Das Greenhouse is a business incubator launched here in Bernie to serve our local community. Das Greenhouse is a place where you can come to grow your idea. Our goal is to make Bernie accessible to people who are looking to grow a business, expand a business, or learn more about what's out there in their community and get involved. Visit us at dasgreenhouse.org or come visit us at 7 Upper Balconies Road, Bernie, Texas. Das Greenhouse. head over to the Patrick Heath Public Library with Miss Constance for children's story time. As the Patrick Heath Library is open today from 10 to 4, this is Bernie Radio.